Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Well, welcome back to True Crime on Easy Street. We're here another week at Easy Street. My name is Katie Givens, and I'm not a lawyer. My name is Scott Wright. I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. And this week, this uh, episode was Scott's idea, so if you don't like it, blame him. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. And despite the fact that none of us are experts, we're going to take a huge swing at a story that really took it took 20 years for this story to play itself out in, in the state of Alabama. So this is a very much an Alabama um, centric case, but it affected, I mean, Oh yeah. Nationwide, yeah, nationwide. but it all started um, in Dothan, Alabama, but we'll get to that. So we're going to get right into it tonight because we think this is going to be a two parter. The case takes place over the course of over 20 years. Um, so I had to pick and you guys let me pick the year that I liked. Uh, out of all of the years that this case uh, uh, covered. And so I chose 1984. And I'm not even going to get into the whole George Orwell thing and all of that. Let's just skip ahead to January the 25th of 1984. That was the very first time. And you know how we guys like to set the table and tell everybody what was going on. And this was the year that Health South, the huge nationwide corporation, multi-billion dollar corporation, was founded in Birmingham by the person who is the crux of today's conversation. Um, And so 1984 started off on January the 25th with President Ronald Reagan's State of the Union address, at which he announced that the United States would begin development of a permanently crewed space station that that was initially called the Space Station Freedom. We all know that today that is called the International space station. It took them 14 more years to get the first piece of it into the sky, but that happened initially on January the 25th, 1984. Ronald Reagan said it, and so it should be done, and it was done eventually. Um, On April the 9th, the 56th Annual Academy Awards, hosted by Johnny Carson, were held at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Uh, Terms of Endearment won for Best Picture that year, and several other Academy Awards, including... Best Supporting Actor for Jack Nicholson. Does, does anybody know who that role was written for initially before that person turned it down and two other people turned it down and Jack Nicholson ended up taking it and winning Best Supporting Actor? Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Paul Newman. He was the third person to turn that down. Oh. Anyway, the role was written for Burt Reynolds. Oh, Burt. The role of the astronaut, the retired astronaut who lived next door to Shirley MacLaine's character in Terms of Endearment was written specifically for Burt Reynolds. He turned that role down <clears throat> to make another fast car movie called Stroker Ace. Anybody seen that? I have oh. a dozen times, and it's a shit show. Oh, man. But it's fun if you like cars crashing and stuff, and NASCAR, which I do. Yeah, you, you're NASCAR's biggest fan over here. Fastest chicken in the South. Anyway, some of the other uh, big movies from 1983 were Risky Business, National Lampoon's Vacation, Trading Places, Scarface, and my favorite from the year, The Right Stuff. None of those were nominated for Academy Awards. Maybe The Right Stuff got in there somewhere. Ensemble cast or... Uh, not Risky uh, Business? Not Risky Business, as good as it was. Uh, on June the 28th, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, murdered his first victim. Just to, so we talk about some murder today, since we're not going to talk about murder for the rest of the day today, as far as I know. Spoiler. Yeah. Oops. On November the 25th, Band-Aid recorded the charity single, Do They Know It's Christmas in London, to raise money to combat famine in Ethiopia among the celebrities that you might recognize who took part in that. Phil Collins, George Michael, Sting, Paul Young, Bono, several members of Cool in the Gang, and most everyone who was in Spandau Ballet. And if you ask me to name one fucking song that they sang, I can't do it. But it does sound like a familiar group from the 80s. 
Everybody grabs their phones except me to see what it is exactly that Spandau Ballet sang. I think one of their songs is in the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. I'll bet it is. And we were talking about that before we turned on the microphones. You and I. Uh, And then the last thing, uh, and another crime-related thing that happened on December the 22nd in New York City, uh, four African-American youths boarded an express train in the Bronx borough of New York City. They attempted to rob a guy named Bernard Getz, and he shot all of them. And it created a uh, a national debate at the time in the 80s about urban crime uh, in the United States, and and it really jump-started the NRA's uh, efforts to allow people to carry concealed firearms because one of the things that Bernard Getz got into trouble for was carrying a firearm that he was not licensed to carry, but he was care- uh, he was scared about crime in New York City, which was a big deal in the 80s. Uh, crime started to kind of, it crested in the 90s, early 90s in New York City and has been uh, a much better situation for people who visit there since. But in 1984, if you got on a subway in New York City, you might get robbed. And Bernard Getz thought about that, and so he took his five-shot revolver with him and fired five shots and shot four people. He didn't kill anyone, <laughs> uh, not for lack of trying, but yeah, that was a big thing in 1984. I remember vaguely that being on the news uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I, I got in my notes that we're going to do shout-outs now. Is that correct? Yes. But I, I wrote these notes without checking with either of the two of you, so maybe we want to save that until the end. No, it's fine. I have a, I have a good shout out this week. Uh, um, and is that her? Yes. Okay. Uh, I would like to give a shout out to Melinda Williamson. Thank you so much. She had sent us several case options that we are going to get to every one of them. Does she bake? Because I would like some cookies. <laughs> if she is good at that. Melinda he is know. asking what? for <laughs> I don't know. some sort of bribe. In order Not to a bribe. Of, see, and now choice. we're getting into the whole Richard Scrooge <laughs> thing uh-huh. uh, sooner than I meant to. Uh, <laughs> there is a young lady who works over at Model T Screen Printing whose name is Crystal Luciani. And she is a regular listener of the show. My Hello, friend Luke Crystal. Peak. Uh, he works in the same office as she does or the same area of the building. And so on Wednesdays, it is a, according to what Luke tells me, it is a normal Wednesday tradition for them all to um, listen to our show together. So uh, You said his name is Luke Peak. Luke Peak. Okay. Uh, and, and his friend uh, Crystal is a coworker, Crystal right. Luciani. And so uh, shout out to her. Yes. So. Thank you so much for listening. I believe we also have a review on iTunes. We do. That very we nice. need to give a shout out. Someone gave us uh, five stars and then gave us a very nice review. I suggest that you read it verbatim. All right, here we go. It says, great job. Two exclamation points. I'm so proud Not of that. Not three? I'm enjoying the podcast. I listen every Wednesday as soon as they are uploaded. Keep up the good work. And this is from Becky Smith. Thank you so much. Oh, Becky Smith. Nice. Thank you. Becky. Very nice. We truly, awesome. truly appreciate yeah. those wonderful reviews on iTunes. And if you have a moment, take that moment. Give us five stars and write us a comment so that we know and we can shout you out. Yeah, that's how you get shouted out on the show. And um, Katie, you want to tell them about the t-shirt situation? I'm not sure if I know exactly what that is. Well, Scott has designed us these wonderful t-shirts that I was we not have fishing for, for a compliment, but I will take it. <laughs> and we have sizes large, extra large, two extra large. They're fantastic. They're black. The design is on our website, mm-hmm. com, And we have no way to ship them to you now. So come find us and we will yep. let you buy yep. a t-shirt. Send us an email at yeah, you can... on easy Street at gmail.com. Tell us you're interested in a shirt. Maybe we can work that out for you. Or just come to a live show. And we'll swap you. You give us a $20 bill, we will give you a t-shirt. Yeah, you can Venmo us 20 bucks, but you're going to have to show up at the live show to retrieve your merchandise. Correct. Yeah. Every other Wednesday. So this Wednesday, we will not be live on Easy Street. Nope. But next Wednesday, mm-hmm. we will. And, Val- and, and, and Scott, that Groundhog Day. Valentine's. Oh, we'll be there on Groundhog yes, Day. Um, so, but. Puxitani Phil, my favorite groundhog. Depending on what his opinion is about the weather, because I am tired of this fucking cold weather. Oh, sorry. I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. I Listen, if it's not 70 degrees in two weeks, I'm moving to Key West. Okay. See ya. It is weird that your two favorite places are Key West and Pittsburgh. Yeah, that is strange. Pittsburgh is ridiculous. <laughs> but only in the summer. 
okay. in Pittsburgh. Okay. Key West year-round, Pittsburgh only in the summer. Yeah, Key West has beautiful weather. Yeah. All, all the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah. But so, get your Valentine a shirt today. Valentine's Day is swiftly approaching. Yeah, that's true. And and you mentioned that at the uh, at the live show the other night. And I mentioned so, it last week too. And you've mentioned, and I'm going to continue to mention it mention it until February the 14th. Yeah, I'm going to say you've got uh, three more weeks to and to work you, it in. Yeah, I'm going to continue until it has passed, and then you're going to feel bad because you didn't get your Valentine what they really wanted yeah, for Valentine's Day. No one to blame but yourself if you're sleeping on the couch on February the 14th. Exactly. All right, so I'm going to send Katie the list of sources that I use to uh, get to the end of my part of this story tonight, and then uh, Katie is going to tell us about the uh, legal aspects of this case. I'm going to build a narrative about how we got to the point where where the federal government had to get involved in all of this. So walk us through who this person is. So we're talking about a guy named Richard Marin. Scrooge. I'm going to call him Richard Scrooge for the rest of the show, even though until he was somewhere in his 20s, everybody called him Marin. M-A-R-I-N was his middle name, and that was the name that he was known by in the family and to his friends. Uh, he was born in Selma, Alabama in 1952. The kid was a Boy Scout, uh, Little League Baseball. Mom was a nurse. Dad was a traveling salesman. A pretty normal upbringing mm-hmm. in Selma, Alabama. I also read that his father repaired um, cash, cash registers. registers. Yeah, he sold and repaired cash registers. Uh, I call him a traveling salesman out of simplicity, but yeah, he, he went around to places. And back in the day, in 1952, uh, you didn't have a computer laying on your desk, young folks out there. You had a uh, mechanical device that was called a cash register. And when it worked properly, you could make change if somebody gave you a $10 bill for um, 75,000 pounds of hay or whatever hay cost back then. It wasn't very much. I mean, it was 1952. But, you know, when the thing broke down, somebody had to come fix it. And that was Richard Scrooge's, I'm sorry, that was Marin Scrooge's dad. Okay. So that's what he did. So a, a very uh, average Alabama upbringing. And we're, this is a show that is based in Alabama. So it sounds pretty normal uh, to all of us so far. Um, Richard Scrooge quit high school before he graduated. When he was 17, he was already married, living in a trailer park with a kid on the way. Hmm. Um, but at some point, uh, and according to my notes, when he was 17 in 1969, he walked off of the job at a uh, somewhere where bricks were being laid. I can't imagine why. That sounds like a lot of hard work. But according to a lot of people, Richard Scrooge was well-known as Whatever else he might have been in his life, he was a hard worker. Uh, his first job was at a at a burger joint when he was a kid. He worked as a gas station attendant when that was still a thing. And if you don't know what that is, Google it, because I can guarantee you from having seen them myself, sometimes when you pulled into a gas station, two guys ran out. And one guy filled your gas tank, and the other guy checked your oil and, and cleaned off your windshield and the whole transaction. You never had to get out of the car. Right. Again, before computers came along. So at some point, uh, he got tired of his first wife, uh, and his mother convinced him that he needed to go back to college or to go to college. So he got his GED. He went to Wallace State, which is in Selma. Uh, he learned to be a respiratory therapist. Um, a good job at the time, I guess. I mean, I don't know what re- you're not a doctor. You tell me how what was respiratory therapy like in 1975. I have. Absolutely no idea, but I, I assume it's similar to what it is today. Welcome and to our team of experts, everyone. Moving along. Yeah. I think that you help people <laughs> with breathing, lung exercises. People well, have had is... uh, trouble with pneumonia or bronchitis or, uh, you know. You really dumbed that down for me, didn't you? Biopsy on a lung or something. Can't ever be too safe. And okay. So then you get sent to respiratory therapy. And I mean, I guess it's, you know. All right. From there. I ask out of ignorance. I have no yeah. idea. But he uh, he got into the program, the respiratory therapy program at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. He did. UAB. And which he is le- a great school. Yes. Which is a part of the reason why uh, Birmingham is on the map today. Uh, and that maybe was just that maybe that ball was just starting to roll down the hill. Mm hmm. At the time uh, the medical professionals that all congregate in Birmingham today and and 
Richard Scrooge was one of them. Uh, he taught at UAB for a couple of years, so he knew all about how to be a respiratory therapist. Uh, let's skip ahead to 1977, and he has moved to Houston, and he has become a uh, an employee of a company called LifeMark, and that is a company that specializes in respiratory therapy, um, physical therapy, and pharmacy. So he learns all three of these aspects of the medical field while he is working at a company called LifeMark. And so he just, he, he was recruited by them while he was teaching? I think that's probably, and maybe he went out and did it. That's, that's one dot that I wasn't able to connect. It, it kind of skips to the fact that he, in, at least in the synopsis that I read, that he ends up at LifeMark. And that's where he kind of gets educated. He sees all these things working together in the same yeah. company. And, and, and by Richard Scrooge's own words in a documentary that you can watch on Netflix called uh, Trial by Media, he, he's interviewed in that series, which is from last year, or I'm sorry, from 2020. And he says, look, I saw an opportunity. I, I saw all of these different pieces of this puzzle, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he says, I, knew how to, I felt like I knew how to put all this thing together and turn it into a company that could really turn into something different that wasn't a thing at the time. And sure enough, he did. Let's go to 1980, and he meets a fellow named Aaron Beam. And Aaron Beam has written a book about his experience with HealthSouth, and it's, the title of the book is HealthSouth, The Wagon to Disaster. That's a 2009 book that you can get on Amazon.com. And not that we're promoting Amazon.com, uh, but it explains his experience with learning about how this whole uh, aspect of the medical field worked at the time. And he sees in Richard Scrooge a genius. He goes to interview for a job as, a, as an accountant with, with LifeMark. Richard Scrooge interviews him. When Aaron Beam goes home that afternoon, he says, I either met a genius or a con artist. He tells his wife that on the day that he interviewed for the job. I think uh, scare, scary, scarily, whatever the word is, uh, yeah. Both. <laughs> Looking back, yeah, it turns out he was right on both accounts. A lot of foreshadowing. And so Aaron Beam signs on. He takes the job. And Aaron Beam's book tells a story about the next 16 years of his life. And he and Richard Scrooge are welded together for the entirety of those 16 years. They work together. They hang out together. They do a lot of uh, cool and interesting things together as coworkers and friends. So what position does Scrooge have at this moment? At that point in his life, Richard Scrooge is the vice president of the respiratory therapy, the physical therapy, okay. and the pharmaceuticals. Or maybe it's, it's some iteration of two of the three, but eventually he becomes, he's so smart, he's so savvy. They hired him at that job at 26. By now we're up to maybe, we're getting into close to 30 They've put him in charge of the whole thing. He's just the smartest guy in the room. It just seems like that's always the case. And he's always got the next big idea. Okay, so he's the idea man. Kind of. And uh, this Aaron Beam is the accountant. He's his accountant. He's his, he is his right-hand man. Anything that needs to be done financially speaking, if, if there are numbers that need to be uh, accumulated and reported to superiors, Aaron Beam is his man. Okay, and so with him being a vice president, he's the boss of quite a bit of people. I would assume so. I don't know how many thousands of people worked for LifeMark, but it must have been a pretty good number because not too long after that, a company out of California comes in and buys LifeMark. Okay. So there's going to be a huge corporate turnover in the early 80s because AMI, not that it matters, the, the, the corporation's name doesn't matter. Somebody's going to come in and buy out LifeMark. They're the bigger company other than LifeMark. So a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. They're going to consolidate. That's what you do when you buy out a big company. You get rid of all the other people. You close down the corporate headquarters. You move them where you are. And then you hire one person to do the job of the three people who are doing it at the other place. Okay. This is a lesson that Richard Scrooge and Aaron Beam and the other people who eventually create Health South in 1984, which was the year of our table setting, that's some of the corporate lessons that they learn when they are taken over as employees at LifeMark. Because, because they're not needed anymore. Correct. Because the, the people who bought them already have... Everybody they need. Uh, All they yeah. need is yeah. your accounts and your books mm -hmm. and your money. Yep. And see you. 
and see you. So what happened is it was a unique opportunity and, and maybe it's not such a unique opportunity. I don't know how venture capitalism works, but when these venture capitalists started swooping in to see what was left of LifeMark, one of the things they do is they reach out and say, hey, does anybody here have a really good idea for the next big company? Well, guess who that was? That was Richard Scrooge. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he brings, and he says, look, here's what we need to do. Um, we need to open up a chain of rehab centers because it's very expensive to keep someone in a rehab hospital for days and days and days after, let's just say in this example, they have knee surgery, right? Okay. I don't need to keep them in the hospital for two weeks to rehab, to rehab their knee, but that's how it worked at the time. Mm-hmm. So Scrushy says, look, let's send them home, save a ton of money on overhead and, and room and board and electricity and everything else, free up these rooms for something else that we can charge. Yeah, staffing, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he has this idea and without getting into the too, de- uh, too deep down into the weeds about how it works out, Citicorp out of San Francisco hands Richard Scrushy $1 million. Okay. And so he and Aaron Beam and three or four other guys who were the founders of Health South create this new company. And for the first year, it was called um, Amcare. And at some point, they realized that it was... That wasn't very cool. It was kind of like everything else in the country at the time. And so they renamed it Health South. And so Health South uh, became a corporation. Well, it became a corporation in February of 84, but it changed its name to Health South in 85. Okay. And Richard Scrucci is the CEO. Richard Scrucci makes himself the CEO of this new company. He and three or four other guys all pitch in mm-hmm. and they buy their shares in this new company. And it's not publicly traded at the time. But they still have to get, they, they're still buying shares in this company that hopefully, and that's the thing, that's a, another unique thing that happens. They're trying to figure out a way to get this company public as fast as they can because, as the late Louis Anderson said in Harlem Nights when he was working uh, in the kitchen, that's when the big bucks start to roll in. And we just lost Louis Anderson over the weekend at 68, one of my favorite comedians. But um, yeah, so what they're trying to do is figure out a way to turn the company public. Because that's when they can start to make money and really get a return on their investment. So what kind of uh, boss was Scrooge? He's got all of these people under him. He's trying to grow this company. He's trying to get it public. What kind of a boss are we dealing with? Uh, I've seen several different descriptions about the kind of boss that Richard Scrooge was. And, and it all boils down to he, he, uh, he led... This is a common phrase. He led by intimidation. Hmm. Kind of the way Katie does us. Indeed. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Katie's a sweetheart. But I actually had a boss like this. Back in the 90s, uh, I worked at a magazine in Tuscaloosa, and the guy, and he didn't yell at me because I was on the design team. We were working on a magazine. So I built ads and, and laid out pages, but there was a sales team down the hall. And anytime that they didn't make their monthly numbers, he would go in and throw chairs and scream like an idiot. And I mean, it worked. They, they made the numbers next month. So apparently there's some corporate strategy to acting like a complete asshole. I would think that would be a hostile work environment, but that's just... It would today. <laughs> but, you know, in 1984, not so much. But a lot of indications are that he led by intimidation. He would just, he would call you an idiot in front of your peers and just berate you for almost no reason at all, just doing your job you thought. But there's a lot of stories, and I won't get into them all. If you want to dig through and find these yourself, you can. But you know, and I'm not saying that that's a bad corporate management style. I just, it wouldn't be mine, and maybe my corporation would fail. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it's... I'm not going to say it's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I don't but, think so either. Um, I think I, there's I, a healthy balance between having someone respect you and having someone fear you. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. someone think you're a piece of crap yeah i mean so far i don't want to hang out with this guy at same all. <laughs> but you know they also say that some of the best leaders you don't want to i mean you can't like like yeah i've heard yeah some, i hear george Patton was a real asshole well i've heard some people say i mean you probably wouldn't want to hang out with nick saban yeah <sighs> well maybe well, I, I wouldn't anyway maybe but, yeah, more and more <laughs> war eagle yeah. uh for you Start uh maybe more day. and more as the years pass but uh or less and less as the years mm-hmm. pass you wouldn't want to hang out with him but uh you know we all mellow out in our later years but, but people everybody has their strengths and everybody yeah. has their weaknesses and uh obviously his strength is 
growing this company yeah. at a rapid rate. Very rapid rate. Let me give you two quick stories. So there was right after they, uh, right after everybody leaves Lifemark and goes off and starts Hell South, they moved to Birmingham because that is Richard Scrooge's hometown, and and it was a great land. It was it was a great thing to happen to Birmingham at the time because you know the steel industry had left and it was the mid eighties and there wasn't really a lot going on in Birmingham. UAB hadn't really uh, ascended to the level that it is today yet. Mm-hmm. And Health South, if you think about it, Health South and UAB working together probably did some fantastic things for Birmingham over the years before, you know, the wheels fell off. Sure. Um, but one of the things that happened is as soon as Health South started its own company, Scrooge reached out to a lot of the clients that he had left behind, who were now clients of this bigger corporation from California that had bought them out. Well, they almost got sued right out of right out of the box for, for what is the word I'm looking for? For trying to steal clients. Did he breach a non-compete agreement? Probably. Had? Although I didn't get into that much detail, but anyway, right away, quickly, they said, you know what? Let's don't get sued because our goal is to turn this company public as fast as we can. And we don't want to be tied up in the courts when we do it. Yeah. Because that's not going to be good. So that was one thing that happened immediately. And, and Aaron Beam tells this other story about how, uh, Scrooge tried to set up a lease corporation so that his father could run their lease corporation. They would buy all their computers from his father and pay them way too much money for the computers in order to put money in his dad's pocket. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the story that Aaron Beam tells. So you're talking about Aaron Beam's father. No, I'm talking about Richard Scrooge's father. father. Aaron Beam is his buddy who he hired at Lifemark to yeah. be his... Okay, I just... Fine, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Aaron I'm sorry. Beam's the one telling this story. Aaron Beam though. is the person who is telling the story that I'm reading in Health South, The Wagon to Disaster. And I'm about to tell you why that st- uh, that title makes any sense. Because in 1985, Richard Scrooge uh, came into a Monday morning meeting. He was mad about something that had happened the previous week. And he drew this crude pencil sketch of stick figures six or eight people standing around a wagon. Some of them are pulling the wagon. Some of them are in the way. Some of them are sitting out of the way. Some of them are sitting in the wagon. Not everybody is helping to pull the wagon. And so pull the wagon becomes this mantra. Good Lord. Can you imagine sitting in that room waiting on this dude to draw this detailed photo? Wait until you see it. It took him about eight seconds to draw it. It's horrible. Oh, oh, it was a quick draw. It's not pretty. (laughs) No. I'm thinking, how long? I'm left-handed. I could draw it with my right hand right now with blindfolded, and it would look better than this drawing. Well, you can kind of draw. Right, but I'm (laughs) left-handed. I'm drawing it right-handed and blindfolded. It's that bad. Gotcha, gotcha. But it became a mantra in Health South, pull the wagon. Okay. And he, he ran with it until the end, literally. One of the problems is that a lot of times in the healthcare industry, even in the 80s, a lot of the bills don't get paid. Right, I mean, nobody nobody budgets for major knee surgery or a no. hip replacement. No. The, the, the insurance companies don't pay everything. No. Medicare has its completely separate billing system. So you have to eat. If you're going to be a healthcare company, yes. you've got to figure out the percentage of numbers, money, potential revenue that you're going to have to eat because you're never going to get it. And you're going to have to work very hard just to get paid back for things. Don't forget that that is a point because when 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 somebody starts uh, erasing numbers mm-hmm. in just a couple of minutes those are the numbers that they start to erase the phrase that Aaron Beam used was extremely aggressive ca- accounting estimates what does that mean that means they were bullshitting the numbers i so- think the term is Cooking the books. Cooking the books. Fraud is also an acceptable <laughs> word here, I think. Uh, we can use that word as well. Fraud is legal term. Yeah. So explain to me how these books would get cooked, because that's interesting okay. to me, and I think people will find that interesting. All right, so by its very definition, when you, when you become, and what happened is in 1986, two years after Health South is founded, they become a, they are able to jump through all of the hoops in New York and Wall Street and, and the corporate bankers and the investment bankers. They become a publicly traded corporation. And, and what it, year? What year? That's 86. 86. Yes. Got it. So what happens when you become a publicly traded corporation is suddenly the only thing that matters is meeting Wall Street's expectations for your next quarter. 
Because if your stocks are not continuing to grow mm-hmm. and, and and be more and more, you know, get more people involved, their stocks are not going up. Mm-hmm. That is a problem. The reason that people like Richard Scrushy and Aaron Beam and the other people who founded HealthSouth, the reason they want to take their company public is because once they've already got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of shares of this company. And the way that they get their payday is if the company goes public and they started out the the first day that they became public on the NASDAQ, uh, it was $6.50 a share. At one point in the height of the 90s, HealthSouth stock was worth $150 a share. Wow. So the day that HealthSouth went public, everybody, every one of those founders was a millionaire by magic. Just because the stock price reimbursed them mm-hmm. for the shares that they own. Now, there's a thing in Wall Street. You can't just run off and sell all of your shares. They're, they make you wait six months just so you don't dump all your stock and get out. But these guys were, you know, by all accounts, they were trying to grow this company. They wanted it to be a success. Nobody was thinking about potentially stealing from the investors at the time. But that's how every happy story ends up being a sad story, right? Especially in the corporate world. Well, we're, we don't talk about a whole lot of happy stories. That's on true. This podcast. Well, this one starts out happy, but you're going to not like the way it ends unless you don't like Richard Scrooge, and then you're going to love it. Anyway, so um, so HealthSouth is doing great financially at this point. Uh, Scrooge is the darling of Wall Street. The, the numbers are going up. But suddenly all that matters, it doesn't matter how successful you are. Well, it does, but only in the way that it is reflected in the numbers that you spit out to corporate analysts every quarter because they want to see that your business is growing. They want so, to see that you're go ahead. No, I was just so at this point, what becomes the focus is not producing a good product. Correct. It's not the the innovative thinking and the and the pretty incredible idea of Health South and having all of that together right industry and the idea of they were changing they were changing the medicare the the medical profession the healthcare profession as they grew and had some pretty high profile uh mascots i mean certainly a lot of athletes and Mm -hmm. and the big um the big famous doctor yeah uh, dr james andrews uh Mm -hmm. dr larry lemack they were huge in birmingham they were the guys who uh dr andrews was the guy who created the way that if you tear your uh, anterior cruciate ligament in your knee, your ACL, he invented the process about how that is repaired. And that is why if you are an NFL athlete and you, and you tear your ACL uh, this November, next November, you're back on the field playing again and making $10 million. Mm-hmm. So he became a very famous person. In, he, he was already in Birmingham. But and he, Health South bought the hospital that he worked at in order to turn him into a public relations uh, tool. Yes. And then we've got, well, like you said earlier, uh, off the air, Bo Jackson, uh, Shaquille, O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal, a lot of these Kyle, guys, Kyle Petty. Um, yeah. Uh, David Wells was a, a, a major league baseball pitcher who had the, the Tommy Johns, which is a, it is the ACL version of what happens in your elbow. Your elbow doesn't work anymore, but Dr. Andrews and Dr. Lemack figured out a way to fix it. And David Wells went back to the, um, to major league baseball after he had the surgery and at one point pitched a perfect game. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, these so Richard Scrushy was that yep. smart mm-hmm. that he was like, "We need to go get these guys. We've got we've got money burning holes in our wallets in our in the safes that we have buried in our basements. Let's go get these guys and create and continue to grow the business." And so that's what they did. But at some point, the focus became, "We've just got to make it look good to Wall Street." Yeah. Well, at some point, the business started to slow down a little bit. I mean, you can only you know, only so many people can go into a Walmart at one time to use a bad example. Sorry, Walmart. But, you know, you can only get so many people in and out the door in an hour. So they eventually got to the point where there was no other medical operation for them to buy to expand and they could only make as much money as they could make. And then you've got the problem with all the money and you're not ever going to get paid because of the bad debts and all that stuff. And and so then your, your capital... Uh, your capital starts to drop, so you don't have as much money to fill the holes when you don't collect these debts. And that's when it got to the point where we think maybe somewhere in 1996, where they just said, you know what, um, we're going to start buying these other businesses that do the same thing we do, 
And I almost think that they backed into this solution to this problem because when they started to expand and buy their competitors, their smaller competitors, you know, think of if Lowe's buys True Value Hardware. Okay. Now, now all True Value Hardwares are Lowe's. Okay. But let's just say that Lowe's did a shitty job doing their accounting. Mm-hmm. Well, now you got to eat that. Ugh. So you get into a situation where as long as you tell Wall Street, yeah, we're buying new businesses and growing and, and generating new revenues, it gets really easy to hide all of the problems that you might run into along the way. You know, again, the bad debts, that's a big thing. That's, that's the number that they played with a lot, uh, according to what I read and saw, that it, it's easy to hide because everybody just trusts you to tell the right story because the only person who's going to get in trouble at the end of the day is you. You're, you're the one who's breaking the federal statute, Aaron Beam, accountant for Health South. If, if I'm speaking to you. So what story are they selling? What are they telling? They're just, books? they're saying hey, we're growing, we're getting bigger and, and they can show it in the numbers. Look, Hey, we bought out this company for $220 million. We bought these guys for $150 million. We're going to bring them under the umbrella of Health South and expand our operations and have that many more patients coming in. And, but there's only you can only grow to a certain point, and it just seemed like these guys at some point along the way, Richard Scrushy, especially in my opinion, got greedy. Okay. Good, good enough wasn't enough. And well, it obviously goes south, or we wouldn't be talking about it. No right. pun intended. Yeah, correct. Right. So yeah, and so they they do they provide a service, and on these books, they are claiming it costs X amount of dollars. For this service. Yeah, and at this but point... it does not cost X amount of dollars. Well, at this point, they're in a lot of... They're not just in respiratory therapy and physical therapy and pharmaceuticals anymore. Now they're doing sports injuries. Now they're doing... You're, you're not a doctor. You tell me what else they're doing. I mean, um, well, a lot you, of other things that you can do on an outpatient surgery is a perfect example. They're, they've expanded what you can do without having to go to a hospital because Medicare has changed the way that they pay these outpatient services. They make it a lot more economical and cheaper, really, to anybody who pitches into Medicare, at least on its surface, to not have to stay for two weeks in a hospital just because you broke your ankle. So if I know that two weeks in a hospital cost, I'm just going to throw, sure, throw out a number. Sure, throw out a number. $20,000. Sure. Okay. I can, I can now bill Medicaid if I'm going to- Medicare. Medicare. If I'm going to cook my books- Yeah. I'm going to say, well, I still got to be cheaper than two weeks in the hospital for, or they're going to question me. Um, but just hear me out and sure. let me see if I'm figuring okay. this out. Sure. So they, they charge 20000 I'm going to say for us, it's going to be 18000 to do what we do. But in reality, it may only cost us 10000 Am I right? Am I on the... That's that plausible. Right? I don't know exactly the, the, the prop. They probably had a number that was smaller than 18,000. They probably said, hey, we can do it for 10. Okay. And then they really did it for five. And they because again, five. it's outpatient. Okay. You're in a strip mall. Okay. You know, parking's easier. You don't have to spend the whole day and gone so from they, work. They are billing for things that they are not doing. Do you want me to kind of go through what they were accused of? Yeah, I think now's a good time to do that. Yeah, because I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm up to my neck in it here because that's what I didn't dig into because I knew that Katie would. So Katie, save us. Well, Kelly, I can kind of go into a little bit of actually what happened. Not, not specific examples, but what they were doing for those books. So it kind of actually started about 1991. They're accused by Medicare of illegally adding costs to reports for outpatient physical therapy and inpatient rehab admissions at Baker's Rehab Hospital. And then in 1998, Medicare changed its funding arrangements to attempt to reduce exploitation and payments by like $13 billion. Wow. And so every, anyone who knew anything about the business at that point would think, oh, that's, this is going to mess Health South up. Like, this is going to affect their bottom dollar. But like, Scrushy was adamant that it wasn't. They're, oh, we'll be fine. Oh, no, don't worry. You know, uh, Shareholders, no, 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 you know, no need to panic. That's not, that's not going to affect us. And profits that same year for Health South dropped by 93%. Okay, so that affected them greatly. greatly. It did. And 
greatly. And I, I think what happened, it was a combination of the fact that that Medicare change affected them greatly. And they had been... They were already struggling. They were, they'd been cooking the books for years. And so when that happened, they had nowhere to hide. The whole... And they called it the whole. Mm-hmm. The, the, the inside guys in the finance department, every year it became like, hey, or every quarter, we need some dirt. These are both terms that they use, dirt and holes. We got to find some more dirt to fill this hole with. Because they would come to Scrooge and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to show a loss. Our, you know, we're not meeting our numbers. And he would say, no, we don't do that. We don't report that. You get back in your office and you fix that. Fix it. And That's what would, he said. Fix it. And they would just fix it. Yeah. yeah. Why they would they do they that would, for him? Because they, he ruled by intimidation. They, they had no other option, honestly, I think. I mean, that's their version of the story. That's of course, Richard Scrooge says, holy shit, I didn't know any of this was going on. I'm, the, I'm not the CFO. I'm the CEO. When these guys came in and said, hey, we're looking good, I'm like, all right, keep going. So who's the CFO? There's five of them. There were five over the course of, the, of this crime. Because they kept walking? They kept leaving? They kept mm-hmm. being told by the guy in charge, if you don't do this, I'm going to deny everything, and you're going down, and I'm not going down with you, and hey, and they would leave the company. Some of Aaron Aaron Beam left in ninety seven. He did it for Katie. Correct me when I get this wrong. Aaron Beam didn't do it for very long. Aaron Beam was the guy that I mentioned who had mm-hmm. been with Scrooge since eighty and Houston. Been friends, CFO forever. He did it for a couple of quarters, and he's like, "I'm out. I'm done. I'm gone." He moved away, and oh, Shane Givens is waving at us through the window outside. That well. Was- it was I, kind of creepy. There I guess for a it moment. is a little creepy, but Shane's always a little creepy. Um, <laughs> God, I wish you'd been in here to hear me say that. Um, where were we? <laughs> you, uh, Beam only did it for a couple of quarters, and he left the company. That was ninety-seven. The profits are dropping ninety-three percent. I mean, that's astronomical. At one point, they're paying more in taxes than they're making. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, around this time, there's. These accusations of fraud committed by Health South, like I said, and Blue Cross Blue Shield begins an investigation where they said Health South had improperly billed Medicare for physical therapy done by students, interns, athletic trainers, and unlicensed aides, and they're billing as physical therapist hours. Oh wow, that's but, a that's a big deal. Yeah. So another aspect of the fraud, you're just lying about you're billing for things that got done, but they're not licensed. Right. So like the therapist can can charge $150 an hour and you can't bill this athletic trainer. Like this athletic trainer can't perform, you know, the, I I don't do, I've been to physical therapy twice. I don't, but you know, they they can't perform the same. No, I mean, you have your, you go into physical therapy and you have your physical therapist Mm -hmm. and then you have the people working under the physical therapist and there, there's a, there's a system, but you have to see the physical therapist and you have to be assessed by that person. And that's what you bill for is you bill for that time. And then you have, you know, if you, if you look at like psychiatry and counseling, you you know, you bill this X amount of dollars for the psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. but then you only see the psychiatrist, you know, once every three months, but then you go to the therapist maybe every week or maybe mm-hmm. every two weeks or something. But that what you would bill for the therapist is much lower than what you bill for the higher licensure. And if you're an right. intern or if you're a tech. Yeah. Getting billed for doctor getting hours. Getting billed for these, these high paid licensure hours. Yes. Fraud is the correct word. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, um, there's additional lawsuits uh, alleging Health South committed widespread abuse of Medicare by billing for services it never provided, delivering just poor care, like, you know, just, you know, saying that they, you know, took care of someone for five hours and they really got a minute out in an hour. Uh, treating patients without a formal plan of care, so just willy-nilly billing them for just random things that, that were not a part of a formal plan of care. So no treatment plan. No treatment plan. Yeah. And then they, and then, like term. I said, using unlicensed therapist. So, but yeah, between 1996 and 2002, it, uh, allegedly, Scrooge and Health South together had falsified at least $2.7 billion worth of profit. Mm-hmm. Billion. Billion. Yeah, with a B. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, uh, in the late 1990s, uh, before when that all started, Richard Scrooge, first of all, Health South was a 
Fortune 500 company. They were number 350 on the Fortune 500 list. Uh, Richard Scrushy's annual salary was $100 million a year, and he got another $90 million a year in stock options, which means you can Goodness. buy stock for dirt cheap as a CEO of the company. That's yeah. how the rich get richer. That's right how the rich get richer. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that is, that is, I can't imagine that much money. Yeah. Have you seen his, have you, go to YouTube, folks, and Google Richard Scrushy's house on Lake Martin. They called it the, uh, oh, God, I'm going to forget what they called it. They called it like the, uh, what's one of those crappy uh, motel chains that's. Like the Shangri-La? No, it's like a uh, Motel Six. They called it like the the Motel Six on Lake Martin. That's not it, but it it, it it was it was Spanish architecture. So it's just that bland tan with arches and uh, the roofs with the uh, with the oh, hell somebody help with me the out. Shing- with like the Spanish tile. Yeah, Spanish tile. Oh, okay. So I, the I whole house they, looked uh, like that. I say the Shangri La. It, it takes me back to I used to watch Frasier, and there was a time when Niles lived in a really bad. Oh, motel, and it was called the Shangri La. Okay, anyway. are well, you saying this was a nice place or not a nice place? It was. It was. I'm or sure it, it was a, out of place. It was a four million dollar house. It just looked like a motel that you would see on the side of the interstate. Well, maybe he had bad taste. No, I think he did have bad taste because yeah. in that documentary that we watched or the mm-hmm. the show on Netflix, they show his house, and I don't guess this is his lake house. It didn't look like his lake house, but I thought that is the definition of new money. It looked like. No, that's it. Is it okay? It yeah. looked like you took the house, the original house, and then he just kept adding on to it lengthwise. That's it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it made it like it made my eyes want to bleed. Yes. Why wouldn't he just hire someone to build him a big house? Why did he have to have the same reason? Is he the kind of person that has to have his opinion oh, in every single The same place. reason that I wouldn't have done it. He's from Selma, Alabama and grew up in a mobile home. He thinks he knows what style is. If I won, if I had a hundred million dollars burning a hole in my pocket, you probably wouldn't think that my house is pretty either, but well, I, I would grew like up it. in a mobile you know, home I mean, in really. Gainesville, Alabama, and I think I have a little bit of time. Well, I agree with you there. Shane Shane always jokes and says, how, how did how did you get this kind of like, because he always says I have expensive taste. He said, I said, I, he, then he makes the joke. He says, I guess you didn't have anything to do in that trailer in Gainesville, but dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And maybe Richard Scrooge, you didn't either. I can assure you if I had that much money, I would hire someone well, to yes. make it nice. I would like to think so as well, but it just looks a little gaudy and a little ridiculous. It and, is new uh, money. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it. this is on a tangent, but yeah, I, I hate I hate yeah. that house. <laughs> look, th- this same guy had 40 Lock- cars and a cigarette boat that oh, looked like boat, a Monopoly board and a His and boat a, was and also hideous. And yeah, yeah, like quote unquote yacht, they kept calling that. A, I'm like, yeah, it was a fishing boat. I don't think, yeah, it was you, a fishing boat. Can you have an actual yacht on Lake Martin? I don't think you can. I don't think this was. I think this boat was down on the Gulf Coast. Okay, I was going to say, or like at Palm there Beach, a, maybe. Yeah, there yeah. A, he spent some time at Palm Beach. He also at one point owned a marina in Orange Beach. Oh, and we've probably marina. all eaten at the restaurant that sat adjacent to it. I don't remember if we were all there together or not, but a lot of nice marinas in the Orange Beach, Alabama area, the prettiest beaches in the world. But at one point, apparently, he owned a marina in that area, and it okay. was probably uh, yeah, I've ate all over, right? All over that all those town, so all those know. cool seafood places at marinas. There, he probably owned one of those at one time. Um, so anyway, and I'm wrapping this up, guys. I swear, it seems like I've been talking forever. Uh, the fraud is staggering at this point, as we have all established in the last few minutes, and Congress has just passed the Sarbanes Oxley Act in response mm-hmm. to the Enron and WorldCom meltdowns, which means it's it's strict new reporting requirements for any uh, major corporation that's on uh, the stock exchange, increased punishments for Katie's term, cooking the corporate books, and the law requires the company CEO to personally certify the accuracy of the company's financial statements. They should have some um, personal skin in the game right? like they're the ceo you're the face if you want to be the face of the company if you want to cash that check you should have some responsibility and there's uh there's a 60 minutes segment with richard scrushy that is available on youtube it's about 13 minutes long one of mike wallace's i love mike wallace back in the day and he interviews scrushy and it's he, called cooking the books too isn't it? that's the title of the segment on 60 minutes cooking the books <laughs> and mike wallace looks right at him and says but you're the guy in charge, right? And I swear to God, with a straight face, Richard Scrooge looks right at him and goes, 
I'm the CEO, not the CFO. Uh-huh. The CFO is the chief financial officer. Yeah, then he goes into like, let's let's do some definitions over here. Like, yeah. Mike Wallace is an idiot. Look, I think he did it. That's my opinion. Uh, we and have maybe we lot, cut that out, but we have he a fucking lot did of it. people. And by people, I mean CFOs from this company who were just Saying the same thing. They're telling the same thing. Saying the same thing. And I can't wait. And I'm about to wrap this up because, guys, the most, if I hope you found tonight's episode interesting, but if you didn't, for the love of sweet bearded Jesus, please come back next week Mm -hmm. when Katie tells you what happened in the courtroom when this all went to trial in Birmingham in 2004? 2003. 2003, because it's, listen, you're going to go home and kick your dog. It's, fucking crazy it is uh quite the show well it all right starts here. in 2003 i guess it, it runs yeah. on so yeah and i'm not even getting into where they uh, the, i mean the, the sec gets involved before any indictments are handed down i'm gonna wait and let kelly uh katie tell all that next week because it's just it's a mess it's a mess all right so there were there were sec investigations all kinds of crazy things going on starting in 2003 i'm not even going to get into it because Katie is going to do a much better job of explaining the craziness that happens in Birmingham uh, in the Hugo Black Federal Courthouse than I could possibly do. But it's if you hung around and you thought this part was interesting, next week's going to totally blow you away. This case is very fascinating for a number of reasons. I think, Scott, you did an excellent job of giving us a background on Richard Scrucci, how we got to the big mess because a lot of people did not get involved into this or know anything was going on until it became a big mess. Yeah. You know, people really didn't, you know, they had probably heard of Health South but didn't give it much thought, but then it became almost like a four-letter word. All the water had leaked out of the tank by the time anybody was paying attention to the fact there was a leak to begin with. Yes, yes. So Unless you were a shareholder. Yeah, unless you were a shareholder and then you were screaming bloody murder from a couple of years prior. Well, and I think that you can't tell the story. You can't just jump into the courtroom. You have to give this backstory, and I think you did an excellent job, and I cannot wait to hear Katie's courtroom drama. It's going to be amazing. Next week, stick around, guys. Next week is going to be very interesting. Oh, yeah, because we're not so just going to be in one courtroom, but we're going to be in two. Multiple. Ooh. It's, it's Oh, actually... More than two. I think you're right. Oh, it's going to be nuts. Oh my goodness! All right, let's don't even let's just we'll we'll do all the Facebook stuff and the and the ratings and all that crap next week. We should get out of here. Yeah, sure. Keep up with us though on Facebook. You'll know when we're going to be live next, which is Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Good night, everybody. Well,